Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 45, Genesis chapter 45, and we read through part of it last time, and we'll pick up then again in Genesis 45. Let's start reading from verse 6, Genesis 45, verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household, and all that you have, would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen and, all, and, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed his brothers and wept on them and afterward his brothers talked with him. So remember last time we, we read about how Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and last time we learned about how quick the forgiveness of God is. God is so quick to forgive, how quickly that happens. And then here it, it says in verse 7, God has sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his household, and ruler over the land of Egypt. You know, here he is giving glory to God. He says, God has done this. God has done this in my life. What God did is he sent me here. Again, he doesn't recount all the stuff that he suffered with. He doesn't look back at the past. That has, has, uh, that has no meaning to him. He's not looking back at the past. It's just amazing how, how fluent this guy is in just speaking about the present. He's not dealing with the past. In, in Philippians, Paul writes about this. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Think about this man Paul's life. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was vehemently opposed to the church. He was having parents ripped away from their children and thrown into prison. He was on his way to Damascus to execute an order that he asked for from the high priest when God visited him. 
if anybody had a life that they could look back on and say, <clears throat> my life has just been terrible, it is Paul. And he says, one thing I do, the one thing I do, this is, he says, the one thing I do, it doesn't mean that's the only thing he's ever done in his life or he's ever doing. He says, this is a main focus for the way I operate. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Forget the past, forgetting what lies behind. We all have baggage, all have baggage. And he says, I forget what lies behind and I am pressing on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am pressing on toward this. It is so important to learn this aspect of pressing on and not reflecting on the past and how bad we were in the past. I mean, there are times in my life that I've so blown it that I, all I could do is, is, uh, is pray Psalm 51, talking about, Lord, forgive me, wash me. And God, God, boom, he forgives. And he wants us past all of this. He wants us past all of this. And Paul says, this is what I do. I forget about the past. If we could learn to let this stuff go, say, Lord, let me be, let me do well from this time onward. And you, you see him, he's never reflecting on the past. He, does, he doesn't go through the litany of what he went through. We know from the book of Psalms that his feet had been in fetters, that what he went through, what he went through with the false accusations from Potiphar's wife, how he was thrown into prison after being a slave. He's just saying, look what God has done with me. I mean, this guy focuses in on the positive things of life. And it's not that he, he's, he's forgotten it. It's not that Paul is forgotten. He says, he says I'm, not, I'm, not just, I'm not focusing on that stuff. I am pressing on. Regardless of my past, I am pressing on. Everybody has baggage in their lives. If you dwell on that, and if that is your constant thing, oh, woe is me, you have no idea what I've been through. And after a while, I'm, in, I'm like, look, you've got to move on. You can't stay there. You cannot stay there and you're complaining. You move on. And this is the way the guy lived. He just lived this, this attitude of just, just pressing on and doing so much better in his life. He says, look at what God has done with me now. He said, uh, 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 he has made me, in verse 8, he, God, he has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. He's giving glory to God. He doesn't say, look what I've gotten. Yep, I'm just really good at it. You know, they just promoted me to where I deserve to be. No, it's just all, it's all God. God put him there. God did this thing. When you realize what God does in our lives, what he provides for us. You know, I was just sharing with a guy, with a guy this week, this past week, and um, just sharing my faith with him. And he gave his life to the Lord, and it was so beautiful to see. And then he said, I got a question for you. How, did you. how did you get up to this level where you got in your, in your career and everything? And I'm just saying, it is all God. It is all God. And, and, you know, I'm not saying this out of a false humility. I mean, how can I hide it? And I told him, I said, I was struggling in freshman chemistry because I got thrown into the honors program because my advisor was a chemistry professor who really didn't realize that I was just a regular kid. I, I shouldn't have been in the honors program. I should have been in with the masses. And they got tossed in this honors class. And I really felt as if everybody in this class had been studying chemistry since kindergarten. I mean, they knew so much. And I just, I was just a regular student. And I was struggling in freshman chemistry. And then I gave my life to the Lord almost exactly 43 years ago, November 7th, 1977. I gave my life to the Lord. And 
from that time, I started praying, Lord, I just turned my work over to you. Bless. I finished up that semester with a B plus, and after that, I got A's every class, every chemistry took course I took. And I'm just giving glory to God. I took every graduate course that they taught in the field of organic chemistry, and I was number one in every one of those classes as well. You can't tell me that all of a sudden I got really smart. I know what God did. I started praying, and God worked, and God moved. This man, Joseph, he knew what God did. God brought him up. God brought me up. And I'm not saying this out of pride. It's, not, it's just, it's just got what God has done. This is a testimony of what God is doing. This is what he does. He testifies of what God has done in his life. There's not this false humility. Oh, well, you know, I'm not very good. I mean, he says, look what God has done through me. Look what God has done in me. God has done this. And, and he just is giving glory to God. And he doesn't even say, I was a prisoner. He doesn't say, I was a slave. He's just saying, look at what God has done through me now. Just focusing always on the positive. He says, hurry, go to my father and, and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. He is just praising God. Look in, in, uh, in, in Psalm 18. In Psalm 18, you see David just praising God for what God had done in his life. Look at this. He says in Psalm 18, verse 28. Psalm 18, verse 28. For you are my light. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. He says, you are... For you light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. I have prayed this so many times. When data comes to me and I don't understand it, I say, Lord, it says, it says that the Lord God illumines my darkness. Lord, I don't see. Help me to see. And then all of a sudden I start seeing this data and it starts making sense to me. This is God. Do you see David says the same thing? He says, the Lord God illumines my darkness. For by you, I can run upon a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. Now, David was fighting the Philistines all the time. He was fighting. So it was really important for him to be able to run upon a troop. It was really important for him to be able to leap over walls. You know, I don't know, what's that thing that young people do where they climb up the sides of buildings now? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that thing. He probably was like one of those guys. I mean, just, he was leaping over walls. This was really important for his career in killing Philistines. And I say, Lord, I'm not killing Philistines. I'm just a chemist. Lord, I pray that you give me proficiency in this. I pray that you give me creativity in this. And you know what happens? God does. God does. David is saying, look, by you I can run upon a troop. How was he so able to kill so many Philistines? He says, by you, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. So they have the, these walled cities. He says, David was able to leap over a wall. And you've seen these guys. They, they somehow run, and they run up the side of a building. You're like, how did you do that? I mean, there was nothing there, and you just ran right up the side of that thing. This is what David was doing. He gives you this talent in your career, whatever you, your career is. You can ask of him. He can give you talent. If he's going to give David talent in killing Philistines, 
I mean, how much more is he going to do, you know, help me, you know, figure out how to make a molecule? I mean, I'm not hurting anybody in this. I mean, this is what he does. Ask him. Ask of him. And he's just giving praise to God. Then, then David says in, in Psalm 18, verse 30, As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to, to all who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord is tried. Make the word of God your daily meditation. If you make the word of God your daily meditation, you will be greatly blessed. I've gone over this a hundred times in this class. The verses that talk about what happens when we meditate on the word of God, how greatly blessed we are going to be. David realized it. He says, the word of God in my life, the word of God has been tried. And then he says, so then he goes on, he says, uh, um, verse 9, Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. He's just, he's just saying, come, be near me. Come and just live near me. Live near me. So, so uh, uh, the, the, the place where the, the headquarters was, was in Goshen. That's where, where, uh, um, where Pharaoh lived, in Goshen, in Tennis. And that's where the, the, the Hyksos empire was. The Hyksos actually reigned in, in Egypt for 250 years during this period. They were Shemites. They, they, they were, we would say today, they were Semites. They were from the descendants of Shem. They were Shemites, much like the Hebrews. And this could have been why Pharaoh was so open to appointing a Hebrew during this time. It's not that the, the Pharaohs at this time were Hebrews, but they were from the people of Shem from that region because they had conquered Egypt. And so, so uh, uh, this was very close. And what he was going to do, he was going to put them in the land of Goshen. You may remember we looked the Nile runs from North Africa. It runs south to north because it's up in the mountains and it's this huge river. We looked at the pictures of it before. And then as it goes into the Mediterranean, it splits. It splits into all these tributaries and, and you get these, these five main branches. They're going to live all the way over on the east side of the eastmost river is where the, the children of Israel are going to be. So they're going to be right on the entrance back into the land of Canaan. Very plush territory, even today, very plush territory because the, the Nile comes and just fans out there. He, they're going to live near him, not in, the same, not in the city, but they're going to live out in the countryside. But it's not that far from him. And look what he says. He says, come, be near me. He says, that, that, uh, um, uh, he, he says to, to, uh, um, in verse 10, and you shall live in the land of Goshen. And you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. You shall be near me. Jesus says something very similar. He says, if you look in John chapter 14, verse 2 through 3, remember, Joseph is never, it's never says specifically that he is a type of Christ in the New Testament. Yet he just exemplifies Jesus over and over again. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my father's house, Jesus is speaking, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If, if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Look what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come and receive you. I mean, Joseph sent to his father and said, come. Jesus isn't going to do that. He is going to receive us. He's going to receive us. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants so much to have us with him. Like Joseph says, come and be near me. I want my family near me. This is what he said. And this is what, he, what Jesus says. He says, I want my family near me. Jesus says, I want you, and, and I'm going to prepare. I am preparing this place. So Jesus knows what each of you likes. He knows, you know, do you like a, do you like a one level house or do you like stairs and everything? He knows what you like. He knows what you like. And he is preparing that place according to what you like. He says, I go and prepare a place for you. If he's preparing it for you, it means that he's doing it with your best interest in mind. I knew a guy, he, he, he wanted to build his own house, and he built his own house, and it was a rustic house. I mean, it had, you know, all dark wood all over the house, and he built this house. It was his pride and joy, and his wife hated it, just hated it, because it was this dark wood all over the house. It was a man cave in the extreme in every room. And the wife hated it. Jesus isn't going to do that. He's not going to give us what he likes. He's going to give us what we like. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is what I got in store for you. I'm putting you in the land of Goshen, in a plush place. He says, if this weren't so, if, if, if it wasn't so, I would have told you something different. This is exactly what I'm doing. I'm preparing a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I will be with Jesus forever. If you know the Lord, you will forever be with the Lord. You say, well, I haven't walked that closely. You will forever be with the Lord. The forgiveness of Jesus is so great. You may sell yourself short. We may sell, sell ourselves short here on earth and, 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 uh, and, and just, just live ourselves out of many blessings because of disobedience. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is tremendous, tremendous joy and grace. Tremendous joy and grace. He says, you just come, come be near me. This is where I want you to be. And then he says in, in verse 11, um, he says, there I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. If you don't come in a hurry, you're going to be impoverished. You can't keep going back and forth and trying to bring this food. I mean, you'll never be able to sustain all the animals you have. This is what he's telling them. You'll never be able to sustain this. I mean, but if you stay near me, you will be greatly blessed. You'll be so blessed if you stay near me. Jesus said in, in Psalm 1, in Psalm 1 verse 3, he says, it says this of the people that will meditate on the, on the word of God. This is what he says, Psalm 1 verse 3. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. So in other words, this is what Jesus does. When everybody is just drying up, he will take his children, if we meditate on his word and walk according to his ways, and he will cause us to flourish. He will cause us to flourish. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about something much richer, 
much richer than money. He will provide for you and there will be a sustenance for you. He says, you get your children, your grandchildren, I'll take care of you. This world is impoverished in so many ways, in so many ways, it's, it's just without. And Jesus over and over again is calling us to be with him. He says, I'll take care of you. Then he goes on in verse, in verse uh, uh, 12 of Genesis chapter 45. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of your brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Jesus says, hurry, <clears throat> hurry. Bring my father down here. Well, what's the hurry? I mean, he's an old man, you know, take his time. He says, no, hurry, bring him down here. We must introduce people to the Lord and hurry. You know, when, when somebody writes to me, and thank God that people are getting the message out that I will share one-on-one -on -one with anybody who does not know Jesus, who wants to learn more about how I came to know the Lord. And as soon as somebody writes to me, <clears throat> as soon as I see that email, I will stop and address that before I address any other emails. That's the one. And I will immediately make contact with them and say, I will absolutely meet with you. Can you meet at such and such a time? And if, if so, I'll send you a Zoom link right now. If not, and I will usually not let that go more than 20, 24, 48 hours. I will try to, I, I'm not going to put this thing out two weeks. I will do it very quickly. We must hurry. When somebody shows interest in the gospel, <clears throat> the way you can get them is you go immediately at that moment of interest. You do not delay on this thing. You must hurry. You must get them away before they get sidetracked because people get sidetracked really easily. And he, he says, you got to hurry. There are some things in life you just absolutely have to hurry. Bringing people into the kingdom of God, you've got to hurry with that thing. If somebody is showing interest, if you sent somebody, you know, this friend of mine asked a question, I wonder if, if you are wondering if they are interested, the answer is yes, they're interested. You wouldn't be wondering this. You know, if they walked up to you and say, you know, I really enjoy worshiping Satan. Okay, then I know you, you might not be interested. But if they're asking you questions, if they even ask a little question, say, just capitalize on, that is a sign, that is a signal that this is person is ready. You go after them. Go after them quickly. Don't let this thing delay. Go after them very quickly. Don't delay on this. So he says, he says you, you know, you come down right away. And then he, he, says, uh, uh, he says, your eyes see and your brother Benjamin's is seeing. In other words, the father might not trust the ten brothers, but he's going to trust Benjamin. You guys have seen it. And your brother, Benjamin. Benjamin, you've seen this. You go tell dad. You go tell him what you've seen. Tell him about all these great things that have happened in life. Because as a father, I can tell you, there's nothing that makes you happier than to see your children doing well in life. To see your children doing well. There's nothing richer. I mean, parents would give all their money to have their children doing well in life. They will spend all their resources. They will do whatever it takes to see their children doing well. He says, you tell my dad, you tell my father what you see here. This is going to encourage his heart because for 22 years, he has mourned the loss of Benjamin. 
of, of, of Joseph for 22 years. He's mourned the loss. And now he's worrying whether Benjamin is going to come back. He's already wondering if Simeon's ever going to get out of prison there in, in Egypt. All of this pain upon this old guy who, who's, uh, who's, who's 130 years old at this time. I mean, he says, you go tell him. Encourage him with this. And then it says in verse 15, and he, kisses, he kissed all his brothers. He kissed all his brothers and he wept on them. In verse 14, and he fell on, the, on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck. Remember, Benjamin was born, his, his mother died in childbirth when Benjamin was born. Benjamin was, was, when Benjamin was born, his mother died in that childbirth. I don't know psychologically what happens if kids grow up thinking, wow, I mean, it's because of me, my mother died. His brother is six years older than him. Joseph is six years older. Joseph is caring for him as a child, looking out for him probably from these 10 other brothers that are really pretty mean. Because their mother, Rachel, was very tough. And she was, she was really kind of dominating. And so now when she's out of the scene, they're going to take it out on these two young guys, these other brothers. And, so, and, and, and the other wives that, that are there. There's three other wives. And so he had the security of his brother until he was 11 years old, and then his brother disappears. His brother is sold into slavery, and he doesn't know this. But for 11 years, his brother was probably, to him, like a mother and a father. Uh, I, my oldest daughter to my youngest son is 11 and a half years. And my oldest daughter was like a mother to my youngest son. And to this day, they are so close. They talk all the time on the phone, and they're just so close because she helped to take care of him. And, and uh, uh, he always looked up to her as like a mother, and he didn't test her like he would test the other kids because she was like a mother to him. And so he probably took care of this little kid. And he falls on his neck, and he weeps. For 22 years, he's not seen this brother. This brother's not seen him, and he weeps. There's a closeness there. And then it says, and he kissed all his other brothers, and he wept on them. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. There's this fellowship that goes on in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, if you don't have good fellowship with Jesus Christ, it is not Jesus' fault. It is our fault. We are the ones who have decided to keep back from him. He is there. You set a time to meet with him in the morning. You set that time. If you oversleep, he's still there. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you because you set that time. You set that time. He's waiting for you. And we know that. You know, Jesus is a really interesting thing. Jesus told his disciples to, to wait for him in Galilee before his death. Then after his death, the, the angels said, go to Galilee. They didn't go. They didn't go. Repeatedly, they'd been told to go to Galilee, and Jesus is probably sitting in Galilee. Where are those guys? You know, looking at his watch and, and, and uh, uh, <clears throat> waiting for them. And so finally, <clears throat> Jesus goes to Jerusalem to meet them. I mean, Jesus is the one. Joseph was the one who initiated the closeness, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He is the one who initiates the closeness with us. If we will not come close, and when a sinner comes back into relationship with God, 
there is great weeping. There is great joy. On November 7th, 1977, Jesus came into my life. Jesus came into my room and I burst into tears. Jesus was there and I was just weeping uncontrollably. When, when I just sharing with this guy this week, I mean, it, you know, terrific young guy. And he just burst into tears weeping when, we, when he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I understood it. I understood it. There is great weeping and there is great rejoicing. You know, there's this, there's this verse in Luke chapter 15. Many people think that the angels are rejoicing in heaven when one sinner is saved. <clears throat> That's not exactly what the scriptures say. If you look in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, what it says, listen very carefully to what it says, very carefully. Luke chapter 15, verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. <clears throat> who do you think is joyful? There's joy in the presence of the angels. It's probably Jesus. Jesus is probably the one rejoicing. And the angels are like, yeah. I mean, Jesus is the one. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Jesus is the one who is rejoicing. If you don't know the Lord today, I urge you, come to know him. He is the one who comes. He is the one who initiates this fellowship. And it says, and then his brothers talked with him. Then that opened up an avenue for fellowship. This is what it is. Jesus is the one who initiates it. Jesus is the one who provides every avenue for fellowship. <clears throat> he says, you come and you just stay with me. You hang out with me. You live with me. This, just be with me. Just be with me. He is the one who comes and he is the one who initiates the hug and initiates this so that there is weeping all around. <clears throat> and what is the outcome of this? His brothers talked with him. Now all the barriers are broken down. <clears throat> no interpreters are needed. The interpreters are gone. Joseph is speaking their language. He is speaking Hebrew right to them. He is speaking their language, and they are fellowshipping, and they are speaking. If you don't know the Lord, I, I, you don't know what you are missing. The greatest day of my life was November 7, 1977, when I invited Jesus into my life. That is the greatest day. And I'll tell you, you know, <clears throat> everybody likes to have new things. You know, every two years you want a new cell phone, and you want to have, you know, everything's got to be updated. Shereen tells me we need new furniture. It's got to be updated, the living room furniture. I'm like, it's like perfect. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. She said, it's old. I said, it's not old. It's, it's just, she, Jim, it's 20 years old. I'm like, well, that's not old. I mean, it's just, it looks as good as the day we got it. What's the problem? And, and uh, <laughs> it has to be, it is so good. Jesus never has to be updated. I am so glad he is the same as when he appeared in my room. In November 7, 1977, that same Jesus who stood at my side through all these prayers, through, through my undergraduate days, when I just was praying for help in my work, through my graduate school, when I was praying for help through my work, through, through the days when I was doing my postdoc and wondering, am I, is anybody going to hire me? Am I going to get any academic position? And then when I get this position, the same Jesus who I was praying to, saying, Lord, help me in my career. Lord, help me. Am I, am I ever going to make an impact? Am I ever going to have... And the same Jesus is right there. The same faithful Jesus is right there. 
If I could encourage you to get to know the Son of God, He is so good. Learn to sit and to talk with Him like Joseph sat with his brothers. Learn to weep with Him. This Jesus before whom I wept, before whom I did all the struggles, whatever I went through in my life, and the raising of children, and the weeping over children, and hoping that they're going to be well, and, and all of these things, and all the pains that come upon every life, these sorts of things. If I could encourage you to get to know this Jesus, who is always there. He never changes in the sense of him going bad. He never gets outdated. Jesus is always, always good and kind and gracious in every way. And he is the one that provides this avenue for us to sit and talk with him. If you don't sit and just pray to him and have time in his word and just speak to Jesus, you are the one who's losing out. He's sitting right there. He's wanting this relationship with you. Joseph wanted this relationship. He didn't make the brothers kiss his feet and say, you know, I'm deeply sorry. Oh, you know, he didn't make his brothers do that. He came to them and he initiated the kiss and he wept on them. I mean, how good is Jesus? How kind is he? He is so kind. Get to know the Son of God. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you, write to me. Send me an email. I will sit with you and I will speak with you. I will take this time and I will speak with you. I will talk to you and tell you about my Jesus. And that very day that you speak to me, you will get saved. You will not leave that conversation without getting saved. That I know. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you for your goodness and for your graciousness. You are so kind in every way. Lord, thank you that you are the one who initiates the relationship. You are the one who says, come and be with me. Live right next to me. You are the one who says that you will make your abode within us, that you will come and even live with us. You are the one who says that I prepare a place for you. You are the one who, who does this and says, I want you to be with me forever. You are the one, Lord Jesus, who comes and initiates and kisses us and hugs us and weeps with us and says, now sit, talk with me. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would take hold of you, that they would come to know the Son of God and know you. Lord, that they would feel comfortable with you, the closeness with you, that they would get into the Word of God and spend time and get to know the Son of God who has given everything, everything of himself to initiate this relationship. And Father, for the young people here who do not know you, Lord, I pray that you work in their lives, that they would, they would come and have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would initiate and send me the email that we can get together and I can share with them and just lead them right to the feet, right to the cross of Jesus, because your word makes it so clear how they must come. Father, draw them to your son, I pray. Draw them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all your mercies. You are good and kind and the best in every way. Glory be to you, Lord Jesus. Amen.